All right, welcome back to the Sales 411 from the 412. This is Dan Hirsch, and today I'm talking with Andrea Waltz. Andrea is the co-author of the best-selling book, Go for No. Yes is the destination. How to know is how to get there. And you're also a professional speaker, Andrea. Is that right? That is correct, Dan. That is awesome. So certainly really excited that you've joined us today, and I'm looking forward to learning a, a whole bunch of things about you and kind of what your message is today with a lot of your classes. But if it's okay, I'd love to just start with kind of the, the concept of your book. Can you tell us a little bit about um, Go For No? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Go For No is a very short read. It's 80 pages. We did that in part um, on purpose because we wanted to um, – make it easy for salespeople to uh, you know, dive in, get it read in an afternoon or maybe on a plane ride, something like that. And it's actually a fable um, about a guy who is an average salesperson who is struggling and he meets a wildly successful future version of himself. He kind of falls into a time warp. So we've got a little bit of supernatural going uh, and he falls into this time warp and he meets this wildly successful him and he learns that the other version of him had, a, had something happen um, when they were both younger, where the successful version learned the go for no secret and has has since applied it. And our struggling salesperson never did really take that message to heart. And so it is, it's this kind of in, unusual device and it's an unusual way to tell a story, but also explain this whole idea of go for no and that you need to, uh, as a salesperson, um, in order to get more yeses, you need to hear no more often. You need to get comfortable with failure, which a lot of us are not. And so it's it's just a really interesting, fun way to get the message across. That's a great way to to write a business book, to to find a, in your case, almost like a sci-fi story, right? And a, a butterfly effect of some sort. But um, to be able to to make it quick and fast, I think that's an excellent um, an excellent way for busy salespeople to get through content, but also yeah. it sounds like it's, it's really engaging and kind of tells a story the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we have a lot, and we have a lot of points and um, uh, that, you know, just focus though on this whole idea of rejection, which is kind of, um, which is our specialty, which is what go for no is all about. It's, it's about changing the way you think and feel about failure and rejection, which no matter what you sell or what you do for a living is such an important skill. That's interesting. And, and certainly something that I think prevents a lot of people just by their nature of getting into the field of sales. They, they love working with people, they love helping, but they can't stand rejection and don't know how to process that, I think. So I'm really oh, interested yeah. to hear your take on that over, over the next little while while we talk. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I understand while still talking about just the kind of the, the topic of your book, I understand congratulations are in order of, a, of an anniversary coming up. <laughs> Yeah, we are at 20 years, which is which is so ridiculous. And as I was telling you, I, I was a child when we wrote it. So <laughs> that's fantastic. And and I'm assuming you still see in your work today so much application for what you wrote 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's um, sadly I don't think that uh, not. 
much has much has changed in the world of sales in terms of tools and technology for sure. And thank goodness that it has. And we all have so many of those at our disposal now. Now it's really a, a um, the whole idea, the whole trick is to figure out, you know, what works, what tools are the right tools and, and make sure that you're using them correctly and, and apply them. But then you also always have the human mind, you have the mindset, right? And so if your mindset is one where you're nervous and, and apprehensive and you feel like you're a pushy, aggressive salesperson, because as you said, and I think you ac actually hit on something that was really important, which is a lot of people think that they could never be a salesperson because uh, of the fact that they would have to, it, it's so horrible. And, and, um, and, and so it's up to a lot of us out there in the world of sales to kind of show people, hey, this is, it, it's, it's a helping profession, not, it, it's not about badgering people and beating them down into giving them stuff that they don't want or need, but it is about helping them discover those things. But anyway, back to kind of the technology, I mean, it, so we have all these tools, but still we have to fight against our, our mindset and what we've all been taught and trained. And the fact is we've been biologically wired to avoid rejection, um, to avoid getting quote unquote kicked out of the herd. And um, so here we are in today's world and we, we don't want to fail and we don't want to get that rejection. But in fact, when you go, when you take more risks, when you take more chances and, and you put yourself out there, that's where those opportunities lie. Absolutely. Right. And so I'd love to explore some of those fundamental practices with you, um, today. That's, that's one of my hopes of today's discussion. So can you, just for context, before we dive in, I have a, a few questions prepared. I hope that's okay. But before we dive into those, can you, can you catch us up? So you wrote the book 20 years ago. It's been a great success. And, and that's certainly how we actually got connected. But since then, what, what are you doing? I know, I know you're speaking. Can you give some context to that just to frame the rest of our discussion? Yeah, so um, thank you. It is a great question. Uh, like, what does this woman do every day? I, I, <laughs> I, I wake up every day, though, Dan, basically with one mission, which is how do I get the message of go for no out to more sales professionals and people who have to uh, and who want to overcome their fear of failure and rejection. So that looks basically like speaking and, and creating a lot of content and putting it out there. Um, we're finally looking to do a, um, a go for no challenge workbook. We've done go for no challenges throughout the years in, in our various Facebook groups um, to train the concept. But, but fundamentally, it is speaking and training and uh, creating I created an online course a couple of years ago. So it's all about taking these, all of the things that you and I are going to talk about um, today and packaging them in usable ways that people can use within their companies or in individually like entrepreneurs. That's fantastic. Are you responsible in, in many of your day-to-day -day activities of getting these speaking engagements and, and various clients to work with? I am, I am the, I am the one and. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I do inbound meaning, you know, I'll take, I take the inquiries that we do get and those are nice, but, but there's a lot of companies. I mean, we, we have a very specific target and I think like many people listening, you know, you have your ideal client, right? And so you're kind of going after your ideal client for us. It's usually sales conventions of, so anywhere from 300 up to many thousands of people 
And those are not, I mean, those are on the rare side. And so it's up to me to go out and find those, you know, figure out who the decision maker is. And of course, usually it's many people and start a conversation, get, send them material and follow up, follow up, follow up. Uh, so my sales cycle in many cases is years. Certainly. And your competitive uh, landscape is probably vast. So my guess is that you are a practicing go for no professional. Absolutely. Yeah, I have to walk the talk and practice what I preach, definitely. And, and on some things, I've gotten really good. Uh, I've gotten really good at not taking no personally, which we can talk about. And on other things, I've hung up the phone and I go like, wait a minute, you forgot to ask if there's anyone else who's going to be involved in making this decision, like, okay, it's, just a, it's constantly a learning process. I'll be completely honest with you. My, my team, we have um, uh, several sales reps that work with us and certainly our clients, sales teams and, and managers. And I, I don't find much more embarrassing than all the things I practice and all the things I preach rather. And then to find out when I'm on a sales call or a, a conference call with clients that I don't follow the same rules. Mm -hmm. It's possibly the most embarrassing thing you can see. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yes, we're in this together. <laughs> I love it. So, so yeah, let, let's talk about some of the, some of the fundamentals of the book. So I know you, you talked earlier about, um, you know, a variety of things. Let, let's start with what, what should someone do when they get told no? Right. So the very first thing that I kind of start with people on this is to, is to create a no awareness and to ask yourself how you are currently responding when you get a no. And there's two ways that most that, that you can respond. One is kind of how you respond mentally. So what are the things that you're saying to yourself in your own mind? And then what actions do you take when you get a no? These are really the two key things that determine how effective you're gonna be in on a daily basis in sales. And so number one is where is your mindset? So if you get a no, is this the moment where you start um, berating yourself and telling yourself bad things and today's not going to be going, today's not going to go well and, and I'm in a slump and all the, you know, all of these things. Or do you say, okay, I understand why that no happened and here's what I'm going to do next time. So more of a learning mentality. And then number two, that action, what, what are you going to do? And I, I, coach people all the time on this is when you get that no, it's, it's actually a very good thing if you can learn to value it and then ask the question, um, how, do I, how do I and can I move this no forward? Now, you have two choices. One is you can try to deal with it right then and see what you can do with that no, or you can simply try to find out, hey, is this no never? Like, is this just never going to happen? And if so, also a good thing I might add, because now you can kind of take this person out of your follow-up contact list and not have to worry about, you know, the idea that they're a prospect if they're not and save yourself a tremendous amount of time. So if, if you look at this, it can be a win-win, but really what you do with that no mentally and also kind of physically, if you will, the ac activity is your big, those are your big two key um, points to that to that question. Hmm. So let, let's separate them for a second then, mm -hmm. and let's let's go back to the mental, the mindset you've brought up now a few different times. And I think mindset 
for a salesperson, almost like a professional athlete in many ways, is really fundamental because you can't control everything you're trying to do. There's another person in play. It's like a game of tennis. So, so the salesperson is on the phone or in front of a prospect and they're pitching and they're, they're told no. The first reaction um, from my experience, and I don't certainly want to put words in your mouth, but the first reaction is like that just ultimate rejection. Like, oh, they, it's something I did or it's something my product doesn't offer or they're just, they're mean. Mm-hmm. One of those things that shuts you down, right? Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think that person needs to do to, to get over that hurdle? Because you're talking then about the action and I'm assuming the, unless it's email, the action has to happen immediately. You have to do something. You're in front of somebody. Right. So oh. how do you prevent your mind from like, you know, making you just shut down? Right. Well, here's the thing. So because we're biologically wired, we will have a sting absolutely immediately. And there's probably no way, I think, no humanly possible way to get over that very initial sting. But I will tell you that the more you work through this and the better you get at it, you can mitigate that and and reduce it uh, a little bit less and less and less each and every time. Um, so the very first thing that I always tell people to do is in, in that moment, and of course, sometimes there's shock and surprise, like, you know, you thought everything was going well and you thought the deal was going to close and all of a sudden it's like, well, no, and we're not doing this. And, and so um, your positive response externally, meaning what you say to that person in that moment, um, meaning, you know, staying positive, not, uh, you know, having a real negative reaction both to them, but also internally to yourself and reminding yourself immediately, you know, all is not lost. You're not going to be living under the freeway overpass tomorrow. Um, so there's like this tendency <laughs> to catastrophize, right? So we're like, oh my God, um, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, so all of those things have to happen in a, in a couple seconds, mindset wise. And then, yeah. and you're right. And so um, that is something that it is uh, not easy to do but it's something that people can work on time and time again and get and actually get better. I mean, you, one can absolutely improve in that area. And then really the action of something that happens all the time I hear from people, it's like, oh, I got to know. And so I was kind of like, got off the phone and ended that. And it's like, wait a minute, if this is a qualified prospect, let's just pause for a second and think through this and be asking the question, what is my next move? Because the next move might be, oh, I'm surprised. It seemed like this solution was going to be perfect for you. Well, what, what if, let's see if this makes sense. What if we came back um, with a slightly different proposal? Or what if, okay, you don't want to change suppliers now. Would you mind at least if I could check back with you in three months? And so it's just focus on, okay, football analogy. Can I keep kind of pushing the ball down the field rather than going home. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. So, so how do you, it seems like there's a lot of training, maybe is a too broad of a term, but there, there's a lot of repetition and knowledge of your, of the areas during a conversation with a, a potential customer that these things might occur. They, I'm sure, let me rephrase that. I'm sure all salespeople, depending on their process, 
can eventually start to learn where no's might happen. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one, one way would be when you're asking for business. But there's plenty of other times when somebody might throw up that red flag, too. Do you feel, um, to go back to that football analogy, do you feel like people are, are able to kind of tune in to when these things might happen to better prepare for them? Well, that is a really interesting point. And this kind of brings us to a discussion that I think is, is relevant to this. And that has to do with, you know, quantity and quality of your presentations and interactions and also having enough conversations to where you do learn what, where those happen. And so I think that the answer is, yeah, you would like to think the, and yet sometimes there's such a limited quantity of, of presentations where people are allowing themselves to have these experiences that sometimes I don't know if people are really clued into all of those, those potential opportunities for those no's to come up and, and how to um, practice you know, um, handling them. And so that is another benefit of just being willing to fail and being willing to not make assumptions about what somebody is going to do, make the call. In other words, overcome your call of reluctance and say, even if I don't get this appointment, or even if we don't close this business, I'm going to learn so much and get to practice um, that it will absolutely pay off. And so to answer your question, I think that it, it is part of your own personal development and training where you have to be mindful that, hey, even if this isn't going well, let me, let me learn from this. Sure, right. Getting, getting that practice and repetition can certainly be a benefit down the road. Um, it's hard to feel that way because sometimes we do feel like living under the freeway if you don't hit tomorrow's goal. Right. But, but yeah, certainly um, that makes sense. So you, you brought up call reluctance and that's, I know something you hear time and time again to lump that into one of the first comments I made, which was, you know, some people love working with interacting with other, other professionals. They want to help people. They feel like they can really make a, a, a dent in, you know, challenges that other people have. And yet they don't want to be a salesperson because of this preconceived notion that I'm going to be told no all the time. And, and I can't face that. Mm-hmm. That morphs itself into, I don't want to make phone calls or I don't want to go out and knock on doors. What have you seen there? You brought up call reluctance and I'm really interested in hearing your take. Well, it is interesting because I did a survey of the people just in my private um, Facebook group for a course that we have. And I was curious because I, 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 I wanted to actually learn a little bit about their fears. And I, I was pretty certain that I, I asked a question. It was kind of a general question, like, what, what are some of the things you fear the most happening? And um, I thought most people would say not making my quota slash you know, not making enough money, that type of thing. And uh, actually what came back was the number one answer that people had was, I fear looking um, stupid slash embarrassing myself, kind of making a fool out of myself, that type of thing. And that was the number one. And we had a couple other fears spiced in there as, as well. 
I think the reason for that, again, is, is just this, again, goes back to biology, but the problem is, okay, so how, how do we deal with that today? And um, that is where the call reluctance comes from. I think people just, they don't want to embarrass themselves or look bad or have somebody think bad about them. And so they'd rather, it's just easier and more comfortable not to call. Um, the funny thing about it is that if you were told um, hey, you're going to make this call and this person's going to be so thrilled to hear from you. <laughs> and they're going to say, thank God you called. I really need this solution. You'd be so excited. The problem is all salespeople have it in their mind that it's going to go badly and that they're interrupting. And so looking at what you have, and it sounds cliche, but it's true. If you can really offer, if you really offer a solution and you're, you're calling to find out, is this a qualified prospect or you know they're qualified and you're calling because you wanna share something with them. Like when I call and tell an organization about go for no, I know it can help them. So as much as I might fear um, interrupting somebody and having maybe somebody get annoyed with me, I have to remember like why I'm doing it. And so that, kind of that purpose, that mission does become very important. That, so that's, that's interesting. And that leads me to a, another question, but like a, like a terrible salesman, I'm going to tell a quick story and then get back to that question if it's okay. Yeah. So one of my favorite trainings in the world, and you, you alluded to, if you could be told that the next person you call is going to be thrilled that you call. I've, I've dealt with call reluctance personally i've had it myself and i i um sometimes still have it and certainly the teams i've worked with have as well i've i've found wonderful improvement when you're having a bad day and you you kind of feel oh, the next five calls are going to be the same just routine misery i'm going to be whatever if they're not following what you're practicing what you're preaching mm -hmm. they they tend to shut down right that's reluctance mm -hmm. Calling your favorite customer or calling your favorite prospect that you can talk to at any point or whatever, somebody that's happy with the service you offer or the product you've sold has, has been a great thing for my career in terms of not only establishing it in my own practice, but also teaching it. Um, you love to talk to your happy client. And then you can tell yourself, I should go find more of them. That's one way I've, I've kind of done that as well. I think that is um, genius. And I have, I, I, there are people that have um, suggested that they do that as well. And I think it's, I think you are so right on. And um, the reason why that is so powerful, like you said, is that it reminds you of what the results are that you know that you can get, which I think we kind of, we kind of forget. And I, I think there's a tendency sometimes to, if you're not looking at sales the right way, you see it as um, win-lose. In other words, I, the salesperson, get to win. The customer, for some reason, loses. And that's not true. Call your win-win customers because they're, they are happy and excited to talk to you. So, and it's a great um, breakup of the pattern. Mm -hmm. That's right. Absolutely. Well, so you, your, your comment there actually goes back to the question I promised I would ask. And um, a, a few minutes ago, you brought up the concept of, you know, getting on the phone to, you know, you can help these folks. And in order to find them, you have to put in the work, right? Knock mm -hmm. on the doors, make the phone calls, send the emails. Right. In order to do that, 
you know, one, one way of thinking about it is to segment out your call. So you're, you're calling a, let's say you, you personally are calling a cold prospect to see if you can book an engagement. Mm -hmm. Your, your ultimate goal, I assume on that very first phone call, if you, if you've never spoken to this person, your ultimate goal is not to get them to answer the phone and say, hi, my name's, you know, this is Donna. How can I help you? And within a minute to get a credit card or a purchase order or, you know, flight arrangements, whatever, whatever your process is. I'm guessing you have a, a good sense in your own business of what qualification looks like to you. Like to answer the question of, can I help this person? You probably have some questions. You probably have some things in place. How, how do you kind of view opportunity qualification and should, should a salesperson qualify their, their buyers? How does that impact the concept of go for no? Yeah. So go for no is all about qualifying and disqualifying if you, if you want to think of it that way. Um, and you're sure. so right. Uh, so as a speaker, you know, I could call somebody and by the way, I would love to call somebody and have them just book me immediately. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> here's your flight arrangements. Here's the hotel and 10 I'm grand so, coming I'm, your way. Yeah. I'm so glad you called. Here's your fee. And yeah, we'll meet you at the airport. Um, but, but yeah, so the, the qualifying questions, uh, as opposed to calling somebody and just saying, hi, my name is Andrea Wells and blah, 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 blah. And this is what I do and go through the whole long pitch and then have this person be like, I don't even have a sales meeting. So why would I even hire a speaker? Right. Um, and so it is coming up with those qualifying questions. Do you, do you have meetings? Do you hire professional speakers? When are your meetings? Who makes the decision? You know, all those things. And um, maybe not all at all at once on that same call, but at least getting the ball rolling. And I think sometimes I just see it so often too, that salespeople will just focus on the pitch and kind of like forget that, that you want to have a list, a highly targeted list of people who are perfectly qualified. So are they the right size company? Are the, is it the right product that you're, you know, that you're trying to work with, what have you, the right people, all of it. Um, and so to the extent that you're willing to ask those hard questions, ask the hardest questions first, right? Ask the ones that disqualify the most people quickly first, save yourself a tremendous amount of time, but then end up with a, a great list of highly targeted qualified people so that then you can spend a lot of time and sometimes a lot of money going after them. Interesting. So uh, I want to talk about that for sure. But um, I know that a lot of folks that I've worked with that are that are potentially going to listen to this episode that you work with, a lot of sales professionals think, and I'm paraphrasing because I, I don't share this thought. So I'm, I'm certainly paraphrasing, but I, I feel they think if I don't sell my, if I don't pitch my service, mm-hmm they're not going to have enough context to make a decision. Yes or no, they should move forward. It sounds like you're viewing it. You're chunking out those questions a little bit small in smaller fashion. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're trying to guide the conversation from your experience of how, you know, a, a successful call is run. Do I have that wrong? It sounds a little different than some salespeople I've talked to. Yeah, no, you don't have it wrong. I think you're, you're that's exactly where I'm coming from. Because um, now the reality is you could argue if, you, if it was me and saying, well, um, no, I call people because maybe they, they haven't had a sales meeting yet. And maybe I would be the per- 
perfect speaker. Maybe I would be the first speaker that they would ever hire. So why am I just asking a couple questions and then giving up on this potential prospect? And so I think you have to um, decide. Uh, and some of those decisions are dictated on the pool of, of, of prospects that you even have. I mean, if you, if you are selling something that's so, um, you know, highly specific and the reality is that there aren't a lot of prospects. I'll give you an example. When we first launched our company, I mean, our target prospect was a retail organization. Our, our person that we worked with mostly was vice president of human resources or VP of training. And it was to retailers, usually with at least 50 or more stores. So we had a target prospect list of 200. So back then mm. it was like, I needed to work those 200. I couldn't just, right. if they didn't have a sales meeting, that back then could not deter me. Like I needed to say, okay, well, you don't have a sales meeting. Well, let's think about this. Maybe you should have a sales meeting. <laughs> you know? Right. You, right. You'd and, run out of contacts fast. Exactly. And, yeah. Right. And so that's when you, when to your point, it's like, no, then you do have to maybe do some actual work and start really digging into the solution. But I think if you have a really wide, and I, I think about some of the contacts that I get, mostly emails or LinkedIn messages, and you know, there's millions of people out there that this solution could work for. And I think, you know, you're just pitching this, but you don't, you're not asking me anything about my business. Better to just start disqualifying people and really get a smaller list to work with. Well, and you know, the fact even for smaller, back to your your retail of 200 total targets that had 50 different stores, all of those, all of those things. That small pool, even then. It, sounds like your strategy wasn't to get into the call and immediately start selling, selling, selling. You still right. controlled the conversation. If they said, no, I don't, we don't have yearly sales meetings or quarterly sales meetings. You would, I loved the way you said it. And, and in fact, I might start using that if it's okay, but the, well, let's, let's think about this mm -hmm. and kind of as a, as a partnership, you're already, you're already adding value by getting them to think outside of their typical day to day. Right. which I think is great. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. When you narrow down, so, so you find people that, that in some way fit the mold of, of folks that you can provide value to, that you can work with. And you mentioned earlier, like you're basically whittling down the total target list down mm -hmm. to a, a select few. I'm sure you'd, you'd love that select few to be of the millions Mm -hmm. Half a million, right? right <laughs> now, exactly. now you've got 500,000 people that are open to really dive, diving in and learning more about how you guys can partner. What, what kind of follow-up does that entail? Because you're, you're not getting the yes or no right away, I assume. Yeah. What, what, does the, what does that strategy look like for you in terms of follow-up? Is there a, a certain number that you follow? Do you when do you give up on them? Kind of what's that look like? Yeah, that's a great question because uh, this is like the age old question um, that I think sales trainers and sales experts get asked all the time, which is, um, you know, when do you give up? Because it's so, and it's so gray, right? There's no black and white answer. Like nobody comes out and goes like five times, but you hear all of these statistics <laughs> and it's, it's most of 
you hear these statistics, which is like, you know, um, my good friend, Colleen Francis, who's a great um, sales expert, trainer, speaker, talks She's about- terrific. Yes. Um, you know, following up, um, I think she says like nine times, you know, within the first couple of weeks or something. I mean, she's really like, have that campaign, have that follow up. And a big part of Go For No, uh, obviously, is about following up with those no's or following up if you haven't gotten an answer, a yes or a no, because you're really, at that point, you're just trying to get an answer. You're trying to, to, to move the forward. And so having that campaign is so important. And again, I think the campaigns depend on your sales cycle. If you're, if it's long, if it's one of these big long-term and I'm no expert in complex sales. Um, I leave that to the complex sales experts, but obviously that's, <laughs> that's going to be a whole different conversation than just following up with someone who expressed interest in buying, you know, a product one time or just getting them on some kind of, you know, as a supplier for something that's so much more simple and doesn't require a huge amount of decision making. But typically those people, if they're, if they've contacted you and they're interested um, and you've got somebody interested, you've got to really um, in a very short period of time, follow up, follow up, follow up, because um, people get their head turned so quickly these days. And all of a sudden, You've been having conversations, but you haven't followed up in three weeks. And then they see some email from someone else. And it's like, you know what? I'm just going to do this because I, I have to do it now. You know? Yeah, right. So there's, that's interesting. Um, we talk a lot in, in our business about specifically prospecting, right? So, mm -hmm. so our company has, has a, a division that takes, takes opportunities all the way from the coldest of cold all the way through to purchase orders, sometimes renewals. We basically build sales teams for, for our clients. And in many cases, a, a new company launching their sales efforts, the, the first kind of part to the project is building up a pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. you, need, you need opportunities such as you're discussing of people that are, are qualified, somewhat interested, whether it's lukewarm. Yeah, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll hear you out. I do have those challenges all the way to I've filled out a request and I'm interested in buying. Either mm -hmm. way, we spend a lot of time talking about the data regarding getting that first conversation. And Colleen probably speaks to this a lot too. I know she, she's big on prospecting. Mm -hmm. It takes seven attempts, outbound attempts of any sort to get a first conversation with a decision maker. Mm -hmm. And from a statistical standpoint, unfortunately, sales reps often give up after only two. Right. With, with that said, you're never going to know who the right people are. But to take it further, which is where you were talking, then you can, it's not a one-call close. They're, they're right. not buying a $40, $40 widget. That, so the funny part is, and there's, there's other research, I won't, I won't throw out statistics, I'm not totally sure on it, but there's other research that certainly talks about you know, the, the idea of whatever percent of active target opportunities are currently looking for a solution that like you offer, right? So if I'm a mm -hmm. superintendent at a school and I'm looking for a software solution, only 2% or 4% or 10%, it's a very low number, are act actively searching. Mm -hmm. So here's the irony, right? So you do the seven calls to get somebody on the phone for the first time. Now you've identified and, and introduced the idea to them. So they're not going to buy right away, right? Right. But many of them are probably in the boat of like, huh, 
Well, mm-hmm. Andrea, I've never considered that. So thank you for opening up my eyes to a problem we didn't know we had. And now we know. <laughs> so God yeah. forbid you give up calling them and following up with them. And they get an email six months later from someone that does something similar. Right. They're going to be like, well, thanks to Andrea Waltz. We know we have this issue. But because she didn't call me back, right. uh, sure, I'll buy from you. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And the ultimate in, in bad luck, I guess. Exactly. I mean, um, gosh, we, we, we kind of the line we use is turn and turn invest, invested time into profitable time, right? That's, and, and so if you want to think of it as owning real estate in your prospect's mind and you're, you want to own that real mm. estate, how do you own that real estate? Well, you, they've got to be seeing your sign quote unquote in their mind over and over and over again. And that means whether it is you, you know, sending those follow-ups through LinkedIn and email and, and, and having that presence on social media and all of that, all of that plays into it so that they, if they, if you finally call them and you're calling them the ninth and 10th time, and then they finally, they're seeing it and seeing it and they finally go, okay, I finally have, you know, this afternoon free, I'm going to handle this issue because it does need to get done, right? And we never know when that sweet moment's going to happen, but we need to be there when the prospect's ready. That's, that's really interesting. So the, the idea of at the initial stage, getting people, qualifying people, getting them kind of over that initial hurdle of, do you have these events? Do you ever have mm-hmm. these meetings? Um, you get them to that kind of select few. Right. And, and that's probably a bad term because you, you probably could have a lot of qualified buyers in your pipeline. So then you're following up and you're following up and you, you're using many means, right? You mentioned LinkedIn, email, phone calls. You probably, my guess would be if you're at events, you're seeking them out if you know they're going to be there and you're mm-hmm. developing rapport and building relationships, right? That's the, the old Tried and true. Right. What, what part of trying to continue to qualify? Like, I guess that's the part that, that we had at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And now if it takes 10 or 15 or 20 times over a however long period, you, you can't just continue calling, I assume, and saying, hey, are you ready now? Hey, are you ready now? What's your strategy in terms of the follow-up? And, and Blend that with a second question, which is, are you periodically continuing to qualify them, if that makes sense? Oh, yeah, that is a great, that is a great point and it's a great question. And, and I don't even know if we fully, if I fully answered the last question, which was, when do you give up? And my, my, let me give my final, final answer, which was, which is never, <laughs> um, <laughs> which, which kind of dovetails very nicely into this conversation, which is, um, I think you. I think you're smart to um, continue to qualify if it's been a long while. Certainly, for me, like even in, to use my business as an example, the sales cycle can sometimes be really long. Sometimes people have meetings, you know, every other year. So I'm, you know, not doing a whole lot for a long period of time, and then recontacting them, and and oftentimes the decision maker has changed. So you kind of starting over from scratch a little bit um and especially how many you know if i have a lot of a lot of leads and a lot of things in my pipeline there it 
sometimes, sometimes to a default, I'm starting over, which is my own fault, which is tells me like, okay, <laughs> you didn't really stay in touch with this group. You have no idea what's going on. Um, so you're, you're back to square one. Um, and that does require some more qualification, I think, to, to make sure that, hey, this are you really paying attention to this lead and to this prospect? And um, do you know what's going on with their company? And do you have the right contact? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you were incorrect on that. So kind of, I think challenging your assumptions um, on your prospects is really helpful to ask those questions. Like, do I have all of the data? Am I, am I getting the answers? And again, trying to have those phone appointments um, so you can get some of those answers, I think is really helpful. Um, but if they're qualified, you know, the answer is if you're, if they're um, perfect for you and you're gonna be in business, then they should stay on your list. So the answer of giving up is really never. And yet I think sometimes we still have to, for sanity's sake, have a, have a, have a breakup period. Um, and it kind of depends on your business, but I know that what I will do is um, actually kind of tell somebody, hey, um, I know you guys didn't go, decide to go forward. Um, I hope you have a great event and I will definitely be in touch with you next, this time next year and maybe we can, we can have another conversation. So it's kind of like a, hey, it didn't work out, but I'm definitely gonna follow up with you. That, that's a really good point. Um, you mentioned earlier that sales over 20 years has changed a lot technology wise and Certainly, there are processes and tech features that you can, you can learn information like, oh, they just, they just booked a speaker. Or mm -hmm. in other industries, they just adopted a, a department-wide solution. Or this hospital just totally changed their, their database, and they're not going to be looking at a new EMR for X amount of time, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and you can record those things and, and keep track of, when in terms of you know supporting your salesperson through tech there's there's ways to automate that if you will right mm -hmm. so eventually once the ball is rolling and there's enough people or sales reps or opportunities in the pipeline you can pull reports and say show me all the people that in quarter two of 2021 are going to be adopting new math curriculum for mm -hmm. you know weird and, and very specific example and it'll pop up. Um, but in terms of the relationship piece, which is I know what you're focused on, which is why in 20 years it's as relevant as ever, mm -hmm. we, we struggle as salespeople to have the mindset that it's never over. Qu qualities may change, and maybe that's the wrong word, but decision makers may change, right? Mm -hmm. Your mm -hmm. HR manager might get promoted to a different department, or they might leave the organization and someone else comes in with a different agenda. That's okay. They're still possibly qualified. Right, if you right. don't give up, you, you will find that out. Or they may say no, they may not be interested right mm -hmm. now because they booked a speaker for next year. But that doesn't mean two years from now, they might not be a legitimate opportunity. Absolutely. And, you know, to kind of go to this um, taking no personally uh, idea, one of my favorite things to happen is actually to find a company that I really want to work with and to find out that um, a couple of people have left <laughs> and that there's all new people because I think, oh my gosh, this is great because these people don't know me. 
they they don't maybe have a preconceived notion of what uh, I'm what I'm offering and what go for no is. And sometimes you just sometimes you you do have bias and you do have people who are like um, somebody in the decision making position who says no, we work with X company and we're not changing and and you won't break in until until that company that they're working with goes out of business or that person leaves. So you you do have to look for the opportunities where you where they may be. That's that's really a great idea. What what do you do? Can I try to stump you for a second? Absolutely. All right. What do you do when you get a no from somebody in a large organization? Because we're, we're not talking one person entrepreneur company. Mm-hmm. We're talking pretty large, especially back in your retail experience, 50 stores plus. Yeah. What happens when you get a no from somebody in the decision making team, but you still really, really believe that that's the right organization to work for? Are there, are there ways to circumvent that? And that may sound manipulative and, and um, against certain ethics. I don't mean like, you know, say, well, whatever, Bill, I'm going to call Bobby. <laughs> but are there, are, there, are there other ways of looping in other folks that you've tried before? Um, yeah, you know, that is a really great question. And, and in fairness, and I, again, not, not trying to say to be manipulative, but I think sometimes that I found that if I'm working with and I have one person that's seeing my offer and my email and they know of us over and over again and I'm not making any headway, I think, well, who else in this organization may not know of this? And I absolutely will try to go to multiple decision makers. And we used to do that in when we started our business and I will do it today because I think sometimes that there are um, a million reasons and I don't want to make, I I never want to make assumptions about what I think I know about what's going on with this person. But um, unless I get the sense and I have gotten this sense from other, from organizations in the past where it's just, we don't like over no, like it's just, we, that's not a message we want to bring in for whatever reason. And I, it's become a no, never. Like I just say, that is just not a, qual- they are no longer a qualified prospect. And I find a lot of value in that too. But if it is a company that you feel like, hey, I'm just getting this roadblock from this one person, I think there are, there are really good ethical reasons why you might want to figure out some creative ways to go around and show what you have to other people in the organization, not trying to subvert this person or anything, but just, just, that's just the way it works sometimes. And, and you still share, it seems like, the same fundamental qualities that you were talking about when prospecting, which is you feel strongly that this is a, a service that could provide really great benefit to the employees. You mm-hmm. think it's the right organization. And I, I know from experience, as do you and probably everybody listening, that People sometimes say no as roadblocks, and it doesn't mean no. It means I'm not interested in talking right now. I'm eating lunch, or it doesn't, or we don't have time right now because three of our key staff members just left the company, and so it's easier to say no than, well, here, here's the deal, right? I don't want right. to tell you about this staff that just left. I'm just going to say no because whatever. We'll figure this out later. Sounds like oh. you're, you're following mm-hmm. your, your own 
your own teachings by figuring out another way around it. Absolutely. And I think most of us have, most of us would benefit from doing that. And, and sometimes I say, um, go for no and go for no creatively. Some, sometimes you, you have, you do have to go, um, <laughs> over, down, around, um, get creative. If, if you have a qualified prospect you're really interested in working with, you, the people are going to throw up those roadblocks for exactly the reasons that you suggested and more, and we have no idea what's going on. And so, uh, it depends on, um, how many lines that you want to cross and how many, you know, how crazy you, you want to get. And there are stories of, of people doing all kinds of things, you know, crazy um, stories about people sending uh, their prospects stuff in the mail and, and things where they're trying to get people's attention. And today more than ever, you just have to decide what kind of salesperson you want to be. It's never about being aggressive, but I think in, in today's world, if you want to get seen, you can't just make one or two reach outs as we've discussed and then go, uh, eh, they're not interested. Let me move on to the next person. That cannot be. That's right. That, that is a, a great, that is a great point. What happens to you or what do you tell your clients if, if you don't get a no, but you also don't get a yes, what happens? What, what do you suggest we do when we're stuck in an ambivalent kind of place? Yeah, that is, and I, I get that a lot because I think that is a condition today that is more prevalent than ever. Um, you just don't get a response. And so for that, again, persistence is required and coming up with, okay, what is my, if I can't get an answer, I'm not going to assume it's a no. That, that is, I think, the biggest uh. thing that happens is that people just assume that it's a no. And um, there's a uh, great story in um, a book called Selling. Well, did he, was it in the book? My husband was telling me about this story of this super successful real estate so wait, guy. You're, you're, quoting a, you're quoting a book you didn't read? I'm quoting I a book it. that I didn't read and a story that my news husband. I articles all the time that I don't read. <laughs> You I'm like, read. oh, look at this. A guy was born with 17 heads. And my wife asked me about it. I'm like, I didn't read it. I just read the headline. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So now I'm telling you a story about something that I didn't see um, that my husband told me, but it, but it's really, it's really funny. So there's, there's a really famous real estate guy out there named Sirhand. And uh, he wrote a book called Selling Like Sirhand. And in this uh, story that my husband was telling me about, he met this super successful um, woman who on the street, literally, he was trying to introduce himself to people. And she said she was looking for property and um, he was trying to help her and he was sending her listings and she never got back to him. And then he found out that she ended up buying a house, but he stayed in contact with her for like 10 years and would send her things periodically for 10 years and knew everything about her. And then at one point, one day out of the blue, she finally responds to him and says, you've been sending me and helping me all these years. And yes, you know, I, I'm finally ready. And now I'm ready to buy, you know, kind of my dream home, $30 million out in Connecticut or whatever. And it's like the perfect, I, I know that we, we all kind of have these like grand mythical, almost like stories. And yet those, those things are true. And I think they happen every day. We just don't hear about kind of the, the more average things, but when we stay in contact and, and build a list again, back to qualified people who we, and, and periodic qualifying and all of that, um, if they're going to be ready for your product or service at some point, then be there for them. 
That's fantastic. What a, what a great, what a great way to culminate that the story is really good. So one, um, next time you tell it, just own it. You, you read figure it. Out, it's all good. Figure you, out, you know, yeah, figure out where. <laughs> yeah. A good friend of mine, Sirhan in Connecticut was telling you this story the other day. So <laughs> now what a great, what a great way to kind of tie it all together. Right. The, the follow-up strategy, the, the knowing, <clears throat> excuse me, the knowing your ideal customer market strategy, the not taking no, he certainly doesn't have a mindset of, defeat. He knows what he's going after and he went after it for years and years and it paid off. And what a, what an awesome experience from the buyer to, I don't know if this is subconscious or not, but to kind of know he's out there and he's ready whenever she was ready to sell or to buy. Exactly. That's really, that's really cool. It, it sounds like, it sounds like your message is um, it, from my experience and we work with currently probably 15 different types of industries selling into different, you know, industries. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly sounds like your message and your, your material that you, that you really, really own um, is applicable for any type of sales role inside, outside technical. You, uh, you mentioned enterprise earlier, absolutely fits that. It also sounds like it would fit a, a more, um, more lower price point, more transactional sale. Industries doesn't seem to matter. I know your, your background was in retail primarily is how you guys started, right? But mm -hmm. you're, you're in, you're in and, and capable of supporting organizations in any of those categories, right? Yeah, absolutely. And part of it is because that we don't, we don't have a, a sales process that's so, uh, you know, step oriented, process oriented, where we could ever take over someone's process. Your process is your process and the tools that you use are there. The key is, are you employing and deploying these kind of mindsets and these other um, strategies and kind of layering that on top. So yeah, every business, every industry, I think we've, we've worked with or, or certainly had books into all of them. And even as far as, um, I mean, I, I hear of, I've had casting directors write me and say they've given, given them to their, um, their clients. And, and so actors and voiceover artists and musicians and writers, I mean, it's, it's across the board. Absolutely. Mindset and activity. Mm -hmm. mindset and activity. If you're being told no baseball players, you need to go after, uh, I'll, I'll give a plug. Part of the reason we're called the sales 411 from the 412. I'm a Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania resident. And I think you need to come in and work with the Pittsburgh pirates because my heavens, their offense could really focus on having a better mindset and changing <laughs> their actions based on not getting on base, striking out, hitting pop flies. <laughs> all of those things. Right, right. Well, you I'm know, I'm going to work on that for you. Okay, I appreciate we're, that. We're getting you back. I know you've been here a few times. We're getting you back to Pittsburgh. To, I want to come to back work to with Pittsburgh. Our baseball team. Okay, Excellent. I'm in. <laughs> Excellent. I, are there any parting comments you'd like to make? I don't want to keep you the whole day, and, and I'd love to let you go, but this, is, this has been awesome. Anything, anything you'd like to close with? Well, I, I always like to leave people with a reminder that go for no is, is not just a business philosophy, kind of like we just talked about. It's a life philosophy. And I, I encourage people to try it on things that are not as um, maybe life altering and scary and, and such as going after a big no from a super big client, but maybe testing it out in your personal life, whether you're 
trying to get an upgrade at a hotel or something, or you're on the airplane and you want an extra bag of peanuts, you name it. <laughs> you just, you know, go for no, see what happens. You'll often be shocked at the yeses that are out there. And that helps you see, hey, I can, and if you do get a no, you go like, okay, I can survive it. And it just, it helps build your courage. That's fantastic. I love it. How, how, can, how can we find you? So I'm, I'm well-branded, Dan. At least there's that. So I'm at goforno.com and I'm goforno on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. So go for no. Go for no. Go for no. Very easy. You've kept that a nice, consistent message. Yes. <laughs> Angie, it was, it was an absolute pleasure getting a chance to talk to you today. I look forward to uh, many more conversations with you and I wish you the absolute best with, with your work. And um, I'm going to get you in for, for a session with Pittsburgh Pirates, I promise. Okay, I love it. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure.